what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. A quick look back at last weekend's racing. Congrats to Dallas Daniels winning the Nikki Hayden Horizon Award. I can't wait for him to turn 16 and move up to the pro ranks. Up in Wisconsin, Jay Maloney wins the Dairyland Classic. Chad Coast second. Morgan Mishler took home third. Red Mile recap. Last weekend, Colby Karloff picked up his second victory of the season, winning narrowly over Kevin Stallings and Shayna Texter. It was the best race of the day. On the Twins, Jared Meese continues to dominate. Brian Smith, a second-place finish. Brad Baker, third. Shout-out to Sammy Halbert, fifth, and Brandon Robinson, seventh on their factory Harley-Davidson's. Looks like they're finding some speed. This weekend is the spring race for the Peoria TT, a preview of the national to come in August. It'll be interesting to see if King of Peoria gets some microphone time and has a rebuttal for Baker's Red Mile rant. This week's guest is a special one to me. When I met him, he was racing a PW50. Now he's on par to be the winningest Daytona 200 rider in history. Here's my friend, Danny Eslick. Hello. Who's this? Danny Eslick. The one and only Slick from Tulsa, Oklahoma. The one and only. <laughs> the the, the four-time winner of the Daytona 200. Is that who I got on the phone? That's correct. Man, I haven't seen you since the Texas Half Mile. What have you been up to? Uh, just uh, doing a little bit of road racing and uh, spending a bunch of time with the nephews. And that's really about it. Just, uh, you know, kind of not doing quite as many dirt tracks as we did last year. Just. Uh, spend a little more time at home and uh, focusing on the road racing, and and uh, you know that's really about it. But looking forward to get out, get back out on the dirt tracker and uh, having some fun. Sounds good. So I've I've known you since you're a little kid. So some of this stuff we might not need to share with everybody, but some of the stuff I want people to know about you. So uh, let's just start at the very beginning. Where were you born at? Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you still live right there nearby in Broken Arrow. Is that right? Yeah, I'm actually in Tulsa now. I mean, grew up in Broken Arrow. Uh, we moved out of Tulsa and uh, lived in Broken Arrow for quite a few years, and now I'm back in Tulsa. So still, you know, just right, basically right, in, right where I grew up. What's it like growing up in Tulsa? Uh, I like Tulsa. I mean, I've traveled all over, uh, all over the country and, uh, you know, a few places around the world. And to me, Tulsa, it's, there's no place like home. It's... Uh, big enough city that you've got plenty of stuff to do and, and stay occupied and, and not too big to have all the all the crazy traffic and uh, the craziness of that side of it. So, I mean, I, I love Tulsa. It's, uh, it's a great place. So, my first memory uh, of you and your brother and actually your mom uh, used to drive you two guys to the races in this old Ford pickup truck that I think she still has. And and uh, you guys would just show up and whip everybody's butts and, and all the mini bike classes. Um I can't remember which track it was I first saw you, but you and your brother, AJ, both had the same leathers, and, and you guys were fast from the very first time I saw you. Yeah, I mean, my mom still, she still has that same old Ford truck. It's got about 750,000 or 60,000 miles on it or something like wow. that. And uh, it's still her daily driver. That's what she uh, hauls my nephews around in now. So, you know, it's pretty amazing that... Uh, truck lasted that lasted that long and, and put that many you know that many miles on it getting uh you know like you said my brother and myself all these races uh over all the years it's uh, pretty impressive 
I'd say that's built for tough right there. So how did you get uh, started in motorcycling? Do you remember the first time you rode a motorcycle? Uh, not really the first ride. I remember I remember the first big crash I had, I guess, which was probably not too far after the first time I ride. Um, <laughs> just uh, a little property where we grew up. A guy had uh, Rod Drecker had 10 acres and, and had a little bear track built. He had a sprint car, so he got there every once in a while and cut some laps. So that gave us somewhere to ride and... Um, I remember I was barely big enough to hold the motocross, old, old school, you know, crappy motocross helmet, you know, barely strong enough to hold the helmet up. And the guy kept backing the throttle screw out, backing the throttle screw out, and I guess it just vibrated out, and I held it wide open, and my head went backwards, and I stuck it into the barbed wire fence and took out two or three T-posts and a couple strands of barbed wire, and, and I was just pissed off because I couldn't get back on and ride because the front end was twisted on it. <laughs> so you, you broke the motorcycle, so that was the end of that riding day, huh? Yep, that, that was it for the day. Wow. So did uh, did you start racing first, or did AJ, or was it about the same time? No, AJ definitely started first. He rode a little bit of motocross and then got into to riding the flat track out at Rujo Raceway and doing some indoors and, you know, just kind of always had somebody to chase, I guess. You know, as kids, it was, you, know, you don't, you don't want to get left behind, so you got to keep up or, or get left in the dust. So I always had uh, somebody to chase, and, and uh, you know, AJ was, uh, was fast in his day, and he was definitely a good uh Good, good coach and good teacher. I mean, not that he told me how to do stuff, but you just kind of watch him and learn. And you know, like any kid does, you know, the, you know what you're running around with and who you're riding with it makes you better, makes you better as a rider and as a better person. So you always had him to kind of look up to and to chase around the racetrack. So he's uh, definitely a good person to have, and uh, you know, kind of miss having him around. He moved to North Carolina and and uh, you know, doing the family man stuff and not really around the motorcycles anymore, but. So I remember also at the races when we'd go, you you and you and AJ both worked on your your bikes a lot. Did did somebody teach you how to work on the motorcycles, or did you just jump in and start doing it? Uh, I think that just maybe goes from having stuff at home and tearing it up, and if you wanted to ride, you had to fix it. I definitely I'm definitely not one with the mechanical ability. That was uh, I was more AJ than than myself, and uh, you know I my, my yeah, take air pressure and adjust the chain and put gas in it. Other than that, that's about the, the extent of my mechanical ability, at least on a on a race bike. I wouldn't, I don't like trusting myself too much on a, on working on the race bike. Right on. So, do you, who did you look up to as a motorcycle racer when you were growing up as a kid? I mean, definitely my brother was somebody that you know he was always usually a class or two above me whenever we were growing up and. Um, you know, so he was somebody that I looked up to. And then, I mean, as a kid, always going down to the Oklahoma City half mile, I can remember it, you know, being a little kid running around and getting all the autographs and, and just being a big fan of, of Ricky Graham and Chris Carr and Scotty Parker. I mean, as, as any kid, you know, person my age as a kid growing up was fans of. And, um, you know, and then now to, to race with some of those guys, I mean, most of them are, are retired and, and stuff now, but, you know, to, to get a lineup and race with some of those guys before they were, you know, before they their careers were over was was really cool, and and to beat some of them was uh, was even cooler. Do you have do you, do you remember your first race, and and can you walk us through that day? I don't remember offhand exactly, but I mean it was definitely at uh, Rujo Raceway and probably 1990 or 91, something like that. Um, 
experience with Lindsey and I remember the first big crash. It was the first time I ever wore uh, wore leather. He always wore motocross gear as a kid. And then I guess AJ probably outgrew us in leather. So I was, uh, you know, in the hand-me-down leathers. And I remember for some reason I didn't have any underwear on that day. <laughs> and it was uh, making a right turn off the track, and the PW50 I was riding out of the big extension chamber off the home real low on the right side, and that's a real high bank track with a big right turn to get off of it. And I dug the pipe and the foot bag in, and it slammed the high side of me real hard because I was trying to do wheelies all the way down the front straightaway on a PW50, and it was way too fast going into the little pit out into the, you know, to turn off the track. And I remember crashing and thinking, oh, I don't want him to take my letters off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't ever want to do that. So uh, on that note, do you have a superstition like that? Because I know when I traveled with AJ for a while, I was doing live by sports and he was still racing. And, and we traveled for a, a few years together and he never wore socks underneath his, his, his race boots. Do you have any superstitions like your brother AJ does? No, no, not really. I don't, I don't get too much into that stuff. It's, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about clocks. I don't remember uh, who it was. He was traveling with going down the road. They stopped and made him get out and take his gear bag and his boots and put them in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember the, I remember that smell too. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think I might have been the one to stop. We might have to stop a couple times and say, put your gear bag in the trunk. Um, a favorite racing memory from when you were growing up from back in the day, besides, besides obviously your, your first crash on that PW 50, do you have another favorite racing memory? I mean, for me, probably the biggest one was my first, uh, national road race win in 2009 when I was riding for year. Um, so that was definitely a big, uh, big memory, uh, definitely a high point in my career, um, would be that one and then going on later that year to, to win in the first championship. But that first win was, was huge. I mean, uh, the first win there and then probably the first win at Daytona, the first Daytona 200 win was another one of them, you know, milestones for, for my career and go back and watch the, the race footage and, and all that. But it's still just that in the moment, there's no feeling like that whenever you're up there and, and get that win, and and, yeah. and it's an indescribable feeling whenever you get up there and, and get a picture lap, especially at Daytona International Speedway. I think you have the probably the, the most unique victory laps. I think I've seen you at the Daytona 200 stop, different places around the racetrack, hop over the fence, climb on top of a party bus, and just have some fun and get up there with the fans. Um, did you think about that while you're out there winning, or does it just spur the moment, or do you have friends you stop and see, or how does all that come about? Yeah, I mean, uh, the fuel bus, uh, some people that I've, I've grown to know over the years of going to Daytona, you know, kind of friends of friends that are definitely friends of mine now. And uh, it's, I don't know, you definitely, that first win, I had a little, a few second lead, but I, yeah, there's all kinds of thoughts going through your head. And the bike running ride is, you know, is it making noises or, Whatever. At one point, I looked back and uh, Chick Garner was behind me. And when I looked back, I accidentally killed the, hit the kill switch on the bike and it died. And I didn't realize it at the time and kind of panicked and thinking, man, it's out of gas or an electrical issue or whatever. And I uh, flipped the switch and kept going. And when he had caught up to within like three seconds of me, I think, and ended up pulling out a little bit of a lead. So that one I had to stay pretty focused. But uh, it's like, as the race wore on, everybody that's over there on that school bus is jumping and cheering. And the closer to the end of the race it got, the more people were up there and the more people were cheering and people with their shirts off, swinging around over their head. And uh, 
you know, that just gives you that extra bit of motivation to, to keep your head down and seeing you know, all my friends up there and, uh, you know, just all the emotion in that, in that area right there where all the uh, pit board signals are. So jumping over the, that fence and, and getting up there and high-fiving all my buddies and uh, friends that are up there on the school bus was, uh, was number one priority at the time. <laughs> So I'm looking back at your your uh, the history of Danny Eslick and and I know you just celebrated a birthday back on May 29th. Um, what do you do to celebrate a birthday when you're up in Tulsa at the, at the in, in hometown? And I took my nephews to the swimming pool. Uh, that was it. My mom and uh, my three nephews, my girlfriend, and uh, we just hung out and just went swimming and took the nephews down to the ice cream shop and uh, fed them all enough ice cream to get them sick. <laughs> That's a good uncle right there. So one one of the other things that stood out about your, your career is in 2013, you debuted in the World Superbike ranks, and you rode for Michael Jordan Motorsports. Can you talk us through how that came about and how you got to, how you got that opportunity? Yeah, it was, uh, man, it was a really good opportunity I had to move into Superbike, right, with uh, the Jordan Motorsports team with uh, support from National Guard and I mean, it was uh, a huge thing. It's, uh, you know, being being involved anyway with Michael Jordan and the National Guard was huge, and they've uh, come a long ways with their superbike program. Um, I think Roger Roger had won a race the year before uh, down in Miami, and you know their program was really strong, and and uh, you know it was an honor to get the chance to ride for them. But during the during the regular season, we just kind of didn't have the results that we were looking for, and weren't really in it for the points or the championships. So whenever Laguna Seca rolled around and, and we raced uh, side by side with World Superbike, the decision was made that we would line up and ride against the uh, World Superbike guys, which was you know a really neat opportunity. Um, you know, learned a lot. It was really cool because they do uh, kind of a knockout Super Bowl thing where you you know, uh, I remember the first uh, 12 riders make it, and then they cut a few guys out, and it's just like eight guys or something like that, and I'd made it through that first round of uh, Super Bowl and whenever I was going around going around the racetrack after the second flag I put a pretty good lap in and boy it seemed like I'd won uh won a cha- world championship or something where every fan around there was cheering me on and uh like I stopped that's qualifying through my gloves to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. I mean it seems like you always have a smile on your face. I can see the smile on your face right now just talking about that story. So you also uh, raced a Grand Prix Moto two class um when you filled in for an injured rider back in the twenty sixteen French motorcycle Grand Prix. How different was it going over there and racing in France? Oh man, it was uh that was a huge a huge step there. I mean you're racing the best guys in the world with the best teams and I mean, everything over there is the best of the best. And, you know, even uh, the guy in last place is no slouch. I mean, every rider over there is on their game. And it was really, really tough. I mean, it was uh, definitely an eye-opener. I mean, the team I went and rode for was was definitely one of the smaller teams, I guess, so to speak. And, you know, it was was crazy. I mean, you get over there and you're, you're – you're just whooped from the jet lag and you know we had a day or two to to kind of hang out before the race and, and kind of unwind from the flight or whatever but man it was just crazy the amount of people it was i don't know a hundred thousand plus people at the races and and at one point we kind of were making some progress and moving forward and we just kind of hit a wall and, and made some changes to with the motorcycle and ended up going backwards and uh you know, it was definitely an eye-opener. I mean, I got my butt kicked uh, up and down and left and right and 
forward and backwards. So, you know, it was uh, kind of left there with my tail in between my legs because that was after, I guess, uh, you know, winning a couple of Daytona 200s and going and doing that and, and really getting put in my place. But, it's, you know, those guys have been riding the Moto 2 bikes, you know, week in and week out and lots of testing. And it's a lot different than a, a standard production motorcycle with the frames and, and the tires and stuff like that. So, it takes quite a bit to get used to, and uh, you know, to try to figure it all out in one weekend was was just not on the cards for us. Right on. Let's talk about Daytona 200. So you um, are the only guy to win the Daytona 200 on three different brands of motorcycles. You've won it four years: 2014 on a Triumph, 2015 on a Suzuki, 2016 you won in the Jail category, and then 2017 and 2018 on a Yamaha. So, <laughs> h- how cool is it to be a four-time winner of the Daytona 200? And and then we're going to talk about 2016 a little bit more. But talk to us about winning the Daytona 200. How important is that to you, and how prestigious is that to you? Oh, I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, after winning it the first time, you know, obviously you don't want to you don't want to do any worse than that. I mean, I've been doing the Daytona 200 for you know a lot of years before I ever got the win. I mean, my my very first 200 I think was 2005, I believe, maybe 2005, I believe it was, and. I finished fourth. I was the the first non-factory motorcycle on a very small privateer uh, Suzuki team with Matsushima Performance. And then I raced it a whole bunch of years after that and um, never got any good results, burned up the clutch during pit stops, uh, broke or crashed or, you know, so then to come and and get that big win – you know, er, er, you know, kind of in dominating way, which I was riding for a team that had had previously won it, or the the crew chief and some of the guys on the team had, you know, won it with other riders and other teams in the past. So, you know, I knew I had a, a good shot at it, and then to come back and uh, and do it again, you know, the next year on a Suzuki was was crazy. I mean, you know, totally different team and different crew, and and to end up with the same result was was awesome, and it was a draft draft pass finish to the line that was uh you know pretty unforgettable i don't remember what the exact gap was but it wasn't wasn't but by an inch or so that i won the race and then you know like i said 2016 you had to miss because you had to sit out because you went to jail so i don't know if you can really talk about the details or not but uh you had an altercation and and the police officer kind of got in the way of your hands i think and then you end up not even being on the race is that is that the gist of it oh i mean it got blown way out of proportion uh you know, was in Daytona a little early and uh, was just out hanging out doing the Main Street thing and uh, bumped into a lady and we both pretty much fell down and I just seen she was with three big biker dudes so I got up and ran and the cop grabbed me and when my elbow touched him when he grabbed me they called that assault on a police officer so there was no punching and swinging on on cops I don't I, I don't condone that by any means because there's uh there's a lot more of them than there are <laughs> there are of uh, me out there right. So. <laughs> you know, the, the story got blown. The story got blown way out of proportion, and uh, I ended up meeting the the cop the following year. Super nice guy, and uh, we all come to agreement that the the whole thing was pretty much total BS. And uh, but the AMA had to stand it down, and uh, I guess make a make an example of me. So they uh, they made me sit on the sidelines. Do you have any doubt in your mind that you would have won that year, and you could be a five time, five in a row time Daytona 200 winner? I know I'm capable of it, but there's so many so many things that go into the 200. I mean, you got to have good pit stops and you got to have a, a good motorcycle underneath you. And, you know, just something stupid. You could get into it with, uh, with a lap rider or, 
you know, a, a bike fall off the stand during a pit stop or, or there's so many if things that could happen. And, uh, you know, but there's no doubt that, that I was capable of going and winning it that year for sure. So only you and I think Scott Russell and Miguel Duhamel have won it, you know, four times or more. If you win next year, that'll be five. Have you, are you already making plans for that? Are you thinking about that or you just try to go out there and race, you know, race to race? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely something that's on the on the cards. It's uh, just trying to get everything put together. Um, yeah, I've done it with uh, TOBC Racing um, the last uh, last couple of years, and Michelle is sitting out this season out of the full uh, Moto America series, and she's got all the equipment to do the 200 again next year. And you know, it's just a matter of coming up with the funding to do it. It's, a, it's an expensive race to to get everybody, all the crew members, and the equipment ready to go. So. Basically, it's a matter of coming up with some sponsorship dollars to to get everybody there and and make it happen. And you know, it's uh, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, it's a lot of people don't give it as much credit because it's 600 bike, you know, 600 cc machine instead of full on super bikes. But it's uh, the biggest thing is the safety safety issue with keeping tires underneath the motorcycles. So, you know, almost 200 horsepower super bikes is pretty tough to keep a uh, tire on them at the on the high banks of Daytona. You know, they made it a 600 race, and you know, it, I think it's pretty awesome. There's nothing like riding a 1,000 around Daytona, though. Um, but but racing and, and winning on 600 is a lot of fun. It makes for some some pretty good battles. Absolutely, I, I would agree with you 100%. So you talked about TLBC, and you raced for them for a couple of years. Um, you said you're not racing for them for the entire Moto America season. So who are you riding for this year on the on the road race side? Riding uh, for Steve Shadi Racing on the uh, BMW this year with Hunter Bakes was back in the team and WD40 and Pied Piper um, all stepped up and it's a really good program. It's a little bit smaller, smaller crew, smaller program than uh, than what I've been riding for the last few years. And it's kind of neat. It's you know the resources go into to really what we need to make the motorcycle go fast. And you, know, you can show up with all the the big rigs and all the fancy stuff, but at the end of the day, it's about making the, the motorcycle go around the racetrack as fast as you can. And this group of guys is uh, is really busting their butts. And we kind of had a bit of a breakthrough weekend uh, this past weekend in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, and ended up uh, finishing seventh in race one, but was only ended up had a uh, something happened the last lap of the race that uh, faded way back. But was right there with uh, with the second group of of riders, and um, it was. Just, I don't know, just a really good weekend. We kind of struggled a little bit the first few races. And uh, for, us, uh, to, for basically for me to get a feel for the bike, where I'm comfortable. And once we're close to a, to a comfortable setting, I can go out there and ride the wheels off the thing and, and override some little problems that we have here or there and, and get up there and hopefully beat up on the factory guys there in the next couple of races. That'd be awesome. One more thing before we leave uh, road racing behind us. You also rode for Bruce Rossmeyer and you know, Rossmeyer Daytona Harley. Uh, what was it like riding for Bruce and that whole team? Oh, that was awesome. I mean, if it wasn't for Bruce, I wouldn't have that first win under my belt with, uh, you know, with Eric Buell racing. And when I raced the Buell in 2009, it was uh, Bruce Rossmeyer's destination Daytona and, and uh, Shelly Rossmeyer you know, stepped up and sponsored Richie Morris Racing and, uh, I was one of the you know teammates of Michael Barnes and was lucky enough to get the the second ride, the second seat, which uh, the, the A bike, which is Barney's, was, was sponsored by Geico, and uh, the B bike, which ended up being my ride, was uh, sponsored by Bruce Rossmeyer. So 
it was uh, really cool to get that first win, and then uh, I think we were pizza whenever you know everybody got the bad news, but that uh, had the, the motorcycle wreck, and you know we ended up going out and winning uh, winning race that weekend, and, and uh, you know that was a, a pretty cool way to to, to send a tribute to Bruce that weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. So now let's switch to dirt track. So what is it about Danny Eslick that makes a full-time road racer want to still come and, and play in the dirt at the Grand Nationals, uh, you know, at American Flat Track? And that's what I grew up doing. You know, as you know, it's, it's riding all the local races and the indoors and any anywhere I could go race and, and get on two wheels and ride. And I mean, uh, the road race series right now, there's 10 weekends or something that we're, that we're racing, so... Yeah, there's a there's a lot more weekends in the in the year to get out and be on a motorcycle. So for me, it's it's filling the gaps. And you know, I enjoy it. the dirt track scene right now. Making flat tracks really kicking butt. And there's uh, you know a lot of a lot of manufacturer support. There's a lot of talent out there. A lot of good riders. And you know, it's fun to come back after you know kind of being away from the flat track scene and just doing nothing but red racing uh, to get back out there and see that stack up and and still be able to put it in main events. When when's the next uh, Grand National you're going to be at? We'll be in Oklahoma City next weekend, and uh, I, that, that's really all I know for now. I'm not sure what we're doing after Oklahoma City. Just kind of been jumping around on on a bike here and a bike there. And, you know, last year we were full time on the Harley Davidson of Staten Island, and um, you know whenever I wasn't road racing, they always had a bike there for me. So now that they're not going to all the races, it's just a matter of kind of. Finding finding a motorcycle to ride whenever uh, whenever I'm not at the road races. So this next weekend is uh, going to be a new bike for me. Um, not even sure exactly which one I'm riding yet, but uh, <laughs> but it's going to be a good weekend in Oklahoma City. You know, I have a lot of a lot of family, a lot of friends down there, and uh, hoping to go get a good uh, good race and put it in main event and, and finish strong. So you want to give us a hint of what brand you might be riding at Oklahoma City? Do you even know that? I would not sure. It might be uh, might be a Kawasaki. It might be a Yamaha. Uh, I'm not really sure just yet. All right. Well, just uh, bring bring your leathers and bring your smile and and your helmet, and we'll see. So, I, I did hear a rumor that there's a bounty out there that uh, anybody from Oklahoma. I've heard a couple rumors actually. So anybody from Oklahoma gets on the podium. I think there's a thousand dollars up for grabs, and I think anybody that can beat Jared Meese, I think there's another bounty for that. Have you heard any of these rumors? I don't know. I'm gonna go put my head down either way. So, yeah, I'd do it for <laughs> I'd do it for a hundred bucks, or I'd do it for a thousand bucks. That's why I love you, man. You're so honest. So, um, so you're not. You just said you're not quite sure how many more flat track races you're gonna be. If you go out there and win or, or podium the Oklahoma City race, you think somebody knocking on your door say, "Hey, you want to ride my bike?" Or is that how it's gonna work? Yeah, or yeah, what do you think? Good possibility. I think there's something. Uh, there might be something kind of in the works where I could uh, possibly have a, a bike to ride at a few more of the races. Um, but this weekend or next weekend, Oklahoma City is just kind of. I don't know. I don't really know if it's a one-off deal or not. I think. Uh, I think that bike could possibly be available for some more races, and um, you know, I'm definitely up for it. Last year, I did every every weekend. I wasn't road racing, and there was a dirt track. I was at it. And it, it didn't wear me out, but it was with my nephews and stuff at home. I've been enjoying spending a little more time this 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 season at home and you know, spending some good quality time with the boys and uh, and hanging out. But definitely ready to get up more of the American Flat Track races. 
Sounds good. So if you were to pick some races coming up in, in the future for flat track, which ones would be on your, I must go, or I want to go to those particular races are the ones that are coming up. Uh, I mean, definitely Sturgis is one that I'd want to do again. Uh, the half mile there is a lot of fun. And uh, obviously the, the PT is the best road trip. I mean, we go there and, and uh, you know, the, the track's not, a, not all that great, but uh, it's a cool cool venue. Need, uh, need to be racing there. Everybody lined up around the, the racetrack, you know, right on the fence. And heck, there's a, uh, one of the corners you're racing around the, a bar. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you were going to pull in there one time. I thought they had a reserve spot for you. I, I thought they had, I thought I'd seen an open seat on the end on there going to pull in after the pipe fell off last year but uh, i figured i might get a little 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 crap for that one absolutely <laughs> so do you have a favorite a favorite track that's on the schedule besides that one i know you, you want to, you like to go back to the buffalo chip but do you like the mile tracks or are they fun for you it is i mean as a kid growing up i never got it i don't a whole lot of big tracks most of my stuff is our short track experience you know uh we'd get to do the amateur day after the oklahoma city half mile you know once a year, but for me, most of the tracks were uh, quite a bit smaller, so it's still a big learning curve. I mean, coming from road racing, it helps with the corner speed and, and that kind of deal, but it's uh, it's still totally different. Um, you know, racing Springfield or Chicoin or some of the, the big miles, is, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, but it's to me, is more challenging. I'd rather be in a bull ring on a short track and banging handlebars and roughing some guys up. I mean, you can kind of get away with that on some of the smaller tracks. You get up on the half miles and the miles, and you got to have a lot more, you know, a lot more respect and a lot more trust in the guys that you're you're racing with. And uh, you know, you don't want to go in there tipping somebody's handlebars at 130 mile an hour and, and do anything stupid. But you can kind of get away with that on some of the short track and TT stuff. Right on. Last year you finished up in you know 23rd in the point settings. Your best finish was at the Atlanta short track, which that's what you're just talking about, like it on the bull rings and stuff like that with an eighth. You had a, you made five main events. Does anything really stick out to you from from the 2017 season? I mean, Atlanta was that was a lot of fun. That was a, a cool racetrack. I mean, they call it a short track. I wouldn't consider that a short track by any means. We run the same gearing as we did, but shot at half mile. So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just did that joke and say you want a short track or something. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So so far this year, you've made two main events. You're sitting 24th in the points, uh, a 12th at Atlanta, and a 15th at Texas. Um, anything sticking out to you so far in the 2018 season? Oh, I mean, Texas, we definitely got lucky to make it through that big, uh, big wreck on Carnage. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I think sure everybody's seen the picture and there's TV flying through the air and it looks like I'm just kind of checking him out flying, but really I clobbered Jake, uh, Jake Johnson's motorcycle and I was basically ragdolling through there and got super lucky to not get involved in crash and go down in a big way there like Jake and uh, Brian and, and Stevie all ended up on the ground. So, yeah, that, that probably sticks out the most for this year's dirt tracking and, and uh, you know, hopefully we can go put some put some good memories in our uh, in our bank for the for the Oklahoma City Mile. Yeah, that that's enough that being a pin, uh, human pinball. I think you bounced off of bikes off of both sides of you, man. I don't, I don't know how you made it through there. I've watched that wreck several times and and I'm I'm pretty sure you got hit on both sides by two different motorcycles. Yeah, I definitely caught Jake's bike with the handlebar and I know afterwards it felt like I got punched in the jaw. So something something caught my helmet and, and clobbered the helmet and then uh, I think 
I don't know what motorcycle it was, but I hit something else with the right side that ripped my foot off the tag, and as my leg got yanked off, it ripped both carburetors off that XR750 I was riding. Yeah, that, that's crazy. So you got to keep racing. Um, you, what all did you guys have to do in that red flag? I know I, you, you just mentioned the carburetors came completely out. I saw them actually kind of like wire tying them or, or cable tying them back into the position. I mean, how hard is it to get back on that motorcycle and try to go full speed after going through something like that? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it, you know, it ripped those carburetors off. And they were already, you know, zip-tied on there. So it broke the zip ties and yanked them out of the hose clamps and the, and the you know, boots there that they, they are connected to. I mean, it was definitely a, a pretty big impact that I got there. And we just covered in oil. I think when Stevie hit Jake's bike, it busted both of their, their cases or whatever. And, I mean, I had oil, motor oil, fork oil all over me and it was all over the tires so we just sat there and was crumbling dirt up on the tires trying to basically use the dirt as oil dry and get get the tires cleaned up and once they got us out of the you know the hot box or whatever from working on the working on the bikes i went down the infield and did a couple donuts and tried to clean it up a little bit and uh ended up you know sticking it in the main event and and running around uh running around there mid-pack or whatever and then towards the end of the race i guess we got a couple bolts come loose and it was just oiling, uh, oiling me down again, so I don't think I need to, to worry about you know putting any uh, <laughs> any leather softener on my on my suit. I think they're nice and uh, oiled up now. <laughs> they're good for another year, right? <laughs> yeah, they should be. Yeah. So uh, tell us what do you, what do you think as a rider that's kind of a part time flat tracker? Tell us your thoughts on this Indian invasion. Uh, Jared Meese is just dominating we've had indians on the podium almost every race you know as an indian sweep so what are your thoughts as a rider on what indians doing uh, i mean they've done their homework i guess is about all you can say i mean there's you know, jared's on his game it didn't matter if he was on that car 750 or, or on that indian now i mean uh you know everybody's jumped on the bandwagon and and he's definitely still the guy to beat um so you know him and kenny Tolbert and uh and those boys have definitely done their homework and you know, they've, they've maybe had a little more time than uh, some of the other guys. You know, the year before they were, you know, before he raced it, they were out there testing at every single racetrack whenever they were done racing. So, I mean, they were kind of a little bit of ahead of the game, it seems like, and have stayed that, you know, stayed there. It's uh, pretty impressive to see him dominate like that, but it's also good to see somebody like Jeff Farmer go out there and uh, put in a dominating run like he did at Springfield. That was, uh, that was good for him and good for the sport. Have you gotten a chance to ride one yet? No, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. So, you know, if you know anybody, you got my phone number, you can just tell them to go ahead and ring me up and we'll yeah. get something going. Dude, if if I had an opportunity like that, my butt would be trying to find some leathers to get on one myself. <laughs> <laughs> if if Ronnie Jones can still go out there and ride one and, and put it in the main event, man, that that's just so cool. That means these bikes are fast, but, you know, uh, Ronnie at 57 years of age is, is more fit than some of the other guys that are out there. You know it? Yep. No doubt about it. I mean, uh, he's, I think he's always been definitely one of the more fit guys out there racing and to, to do what he did, like you said, 57 years old to, to go and put in the main event and, and race with those guys is, uh, is pretty spectacular. Absolutely. Um, so it's time for the part of the episode that we call Graham's question. You know, Graham, that's Kathy Dooler, my grandma. She doesn't like to be called grandma. So it's Graham. So she said, she said, tell Danny, she goes, we go a long way back. And she wants to know what your future plans are in racing. What are you going to do? Just keep on racing. I mean, uh, maybe not take a break like Ronnie did. Just keep on racing. 
All right. So um, this is where we get into the rapid fire questions. And, and the first one, what what's your favorite? And I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. So what's your favorite off the groove episode? Uh, you got me on a different. There you go. That's exactly what I was wanting you to say. Um, so my next one is, what do you do with all those Rolex watches that you have? Break them out on a good occasion and wear them around. I used to, when I first wore them, I wore them all the time. Now it's just on occasion. I try to keep them locked up in the safe. Yeah, so what do you, you have five of them now, right? Because didn't you get one for winning the poll or something? Yep, I got one. Uh, the last year they gave it away for, for poll, I got it that year. And then I've got the four wins, so five total. So you got three on one arm and two on the other arm. Do you do you all do you wear them all at once? I saw like a, a social media post. You had you had four of them on before the before the 2018 race. Do you, can you fit all five of them on your arms? I'm gonna have to start switching them up and just go half on one side and half on the other over there. <laughs> keep keep you weighted so you can walk straight. Yeah, yeah, get pretty <laughs> heavy with all of my one arm. Man, that's a rough problem to have. So so. <laughs> What what's your favorite track? I don't care if it's road race, flat track, indoor, motocross. I don't care. What is your favorite racetrack? Ah, uh, the one we just went to at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Road America's just uh, something about it. It's a small little village, population of like 900 people in the town. Uh, the racetrack itself is is awesome. It's almost like you're on some single track wood riding, but you're doing 180 mile an hour through the woods and trees and you know the canopies of the trees are overhanging and touching each other. So it's, Basically, like you're riding some single track in the woods, but you're on a super bike doing almost 200 miles an hour. Who's your favorite flat tracker of all time? Man, watching those videos of Ricky Graham's probably uh, probably got to be my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's probably one of mine too. So, last question is kind of a kind of a random one. We've never asked. What is your favorite dive bar? Favorite dive bar? Well, there's one I go to at home, the Brick Alley. It's a pretty good one. The Brick Alley? Brook, Brook Alley. Brook Alley. Okay, so we need to get we need to get a sponsorship from the Brook Alley and put that on your leathers. What do you think? <laughs> Not a bad gig. There you go. That worked. That worked out pretty good. My favorite Danny Eslick story. There's there's a bunch of them, but actually I've got two. So my favorite one is when you tried making the uh, concession stand at the Springfield Short Tracker TT a drive through. Do you remember that? Definitely remember that one. <laughs> tell tell us what happened. I mean, I know I know we kind of got out of order here a little bit, but next thing I know, I look up, I'm announcing, and you're going full speed into the pit area, and you ran into the concession stand, right? Yep, yep. Well, it started that that you know that was I guess May is when that would have been. Well, it all started back in what end of February, beginning of March, and uh, AJ was still racing, and uh, Jared Meese cleaned him out running him off a groove somewhere down in one of the races leading up to Daytona, Savannah or something. And uh, that pretty much vowed that uh, I was going to go ahead and go pay Jared back for AJ. So I signed up for the TT and uh, pretty much one goal in mind. And on the start of the first lap, I went in there and pretty much T-boned Jared in the hairpin. Uh, <laughs> coming out around the to three and four, the, what the short track would be. And when I hit him, it busted the radiator on the bike and started spewing hot water everywhere. So I basically jumped off of it. And the bike ghost rode out through the pits and hit the hot dog wagon. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. That is awesome. So my other favorite story is is I think you must have been about 10 or 12 years old. And, and me and my dad were coming through Tulsa going up to uh, Peoria, Illinois. And you were just a little guy, but you wanted to go. So we stopped to pick you up, but we couldn't find you. And uh, we went around to the backyard at your house, and, and you were riding a bicycle off the roof into a swimming pool. Do you remember that? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, yep. Off my grandparents' old house, we used to used to get the bicycle up on the up on the house, and uh, you know the the kind of back the shallow end was close to the house, so you were basically jumping the bicycle off two story house into the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> so, how how old were you when you did that? Oh man, I shoot, I probably couldn't have been ten or eleven years old, probably. That's what I thought. So, man, we've had some great times. I, I love watching you ride a motorcycle. You are, are awesome, and, and you always have a smile on your face, and I definitely appreciate your time coming on off the group here tonight. Before we let you go, do you want to say thanks to anybody? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just everybody, all the fans and everybody that sticks with me. And, uh, you know, uh, this weekend, Travis Smith's going to be helping me at the, at the, half, or the uh, mile in Oklahoma City, and then Dan Daffner, who's uh, been a big part of my fight track career. He was uh, – First person let me ride one of his 883s uh, whenever I needed to get some pro sport points so I could ride a big bike back in the day and uh, showed up to the Springfield Mile and was just showing up as a spectator and they ended up saying, well, you can get some points. So he had a bike and I borrowed leathers from ever, you know, borrowed some leathers from here and some boots from there and I think a helmet from my brother and ended up going out and uh, pulling a last lap pass on Brian Smith to win uh, the 883 race at the Springfield Mile. So Daffy's been a big big supporter of uh, my brother and myself over the years and you know always seems to put something together for me to ride uh you know here or there whenever i'm ready to go do some dirt tracking and uh, you know my mom's been obviously a huge supporter of mine from day one and uh you know she doesn't get to go travel and go to the races like she used to you know being uh being a staying care of my nephews now it's a little bit tough to drag along three little ones to the races and yeah, that that makes it a bit tough, but she'll be down at Oklahoma City this next weekend, and uh, yeah, just all the fans. I mean, everybody that makes it happen. If it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have these races. So, you know, the hats off to all the fans that stick with us. Uh, you know, through rainouts and and uh, crappy racetracks and and bad results, and, uh, and definitely through all the wins and championships. It's uh, you know, the fans are what make it happen. I remember that day at Springfield because I don't think I've ever seen anybody do a stand-up wheelie on an 883, and you did one down the whole front straightaway. So that was uh, that was pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. Hey, man, been a 1200. We can talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Eslick, man, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Have a good night, man. All right, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Yeah. No announcing for me this weekend, and I'm okay with that. We'll talk to you next week when we preview my home race, the OKC Mile.